Praise God. Good morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. Now, some messages are important to us. Some messages, we like them because they help us change our lives or they're things that we care about, and that's absolutely fine. Today is something, in my opinion, that God really cares about, something that's important to Him. Our topic is about friendship and how each of us can become, I hope, a friend of God. As, as Joe was just sharing, for those of you here for the first time, we're, we're going on a journey through the Bible. We may not do it consistently because it's very big, but we'll do a few books at a time. We're doing the first five books right now. Uh, and we're still in Exodus. I didn't want to move on from Exodus until we dealt with this particular topic because it's a huge, huge issue. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. Listen to this, and I pray that God helps us hear it in Jesus' name. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Wow. The Lord would speak to Moses, face to face. Moses is a man just like you, remember. Nothing particularly special about Moses, remember. Don't make that mistake. Elijah was a man just like us. Moses is a man just like you. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And if you will, turn to John's Gospel and chapter 15 and verse 15. John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 15. Jesus here is talking to the twelve, to the apostles. And this is a time of intimacy, really, where he's sharing with them some things that were very important to him. He knows he's about to die, and there's a long passage here. It goes on for almost two chapters. But in John chapter 15 and verse 15, Jesus said this to those who were closest to him. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, fruit that will last. So today I want to talk about friendship. Moses, as I say, is an exception in the Bible because he's called a friend of God. He's not the only person in Scripture called a friend of God, but there are very, very few of them. And it's something that we take for granted, okay? For example, some people will look at that scripture that we just read, where Jesus is talking to the twelve, and he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And then what they do is they write a song called, I am a friend of God. And we all presume to take that relationship that is actually, you can't do that. That's not the way to read your Bible. Jesus here is talking to a very specific group of people. People who are going to, um, most of them, with the exception of one, are actually going to be martyred. People who he has chosen. Okay? So it's important not to do that. Because if you were going to do that, I mean, if you go back a few chapters, he turned to the Pharisees and he said they were like dead men's bones. Is he talking to me there? Is he, you know? If you're going to apply that rule in one place, you're going to have to apply it everywhere. So it's not good what we call exegesis. It's not a good way to bring out the Scripture. Jesus there is talking to a very particular group. And, and don't presume in that. 
I want to begin at the beginning, and I want to ask you what you think about friendship, about the friends in your life, looking back over your life, what it has meant to you, how do you perceive it, and hopefully today we'll see it from God's perspective. And I ask you to do together with me, to ask God, God, show me what you think of friendship. Because in my opinion, and you don't have to agree, God Almighty uses the word friend very, very carefully. Now, our son James is actually incredibly good at choosing his friends. When we moved from city to city, I got sorry for him. We would go to a new city, he would join a new school, and he didn't have any friends. And I would say to him, go and make friends, you know? Jeanette's like that. When we move from church to church, Jeanette is very reserved, and James is a chip off the old block, you know? He's exactly the same. Jeanette chooses her friends extremely carefully. And James was just the same. Listen to me. I never had to ask James about his friends. If he said, I'm going to stay the night with such and such a person, fine, James. Um, Dad, such and such a person's coming home to stay, fine. Can they come? Yes. Imagine that. I never had to quiz him because I knew what he was like. When James chose a friend, I was 100% sure that that was a good guy, right? And I think God is a bit like that. God chooses, you did not choose me. See that? You did not choose me, Jesus says. I chose you. And my wife and my son are extremely careful in choosing friends. I don't know about you. The reason I mention that is because if you're not careful, you may think that God chooses his friends in the same relaxed way that you choose yours. And he doesn't. And I think we need to understand friendship not from our own perspective, but from his, and then endeavor to become exactly that, friends of God. I heard a woman who had not long been married, and and she was talking, and she said this, before I got married to my husband, we used to meet in town, you know, we'd meet in McDonald's, and we'd talk for like four or five hours. And then he would get on his bus, I'd get on my bus, and he'd call me on the way. And then I'd get home, and I'd get in bed, the phone would ring, hello, and he'd talk to me for another two hours. And then we got married, and now I can't get two words out of him, you know. (laughs) Very typical. Now, what's happened in that relationship? I'll tell you what's happened. You've got two friends. And friendship is very different from a marriage covenant. In a friendship, you've got freedom, and it's choice. And that man, particularly the man in relation to that illustration I've just you know, quoted, particularly the man can be affected by that. He's got a, a, a relationship that's fr- based on freedom and his choice. But once you migrate that relationship to a covenant, he is then obliged to be with his wife. He now has an obligation. And the actual friendship side, if you don't handle that transition carefully and intelligently, you can actually crash out on your relationship and mess it up in a way that you don't need to. Amen. Now, it's not our topic for this morning, but it's a very important point, you know, especially those of you thinking of getting married. Be careful about the friendship and understand that marriage is a covenant relationship. So friendship is a choice. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Friendship is a choice. 
And if we're wise, we will choose the company we keep very, very carefully. Friendship is based largely upon respect. If we don't respect the person or show respect, we're not going to be able to keep any friendship. Now, the irony is, folks, the people that you love the most, you may not call them your friend. Now, I know that sounds strange. Now, my wife is also my best friend. Praise God for that. And that's a very good way for things to be. But that is not always the case. And there's a large number of marriages on this earth, a huge portion of marriages, where the husband, if you ask the husband, or the wife is probably a better example. If you said to many a wife, is your husband your best friend? Many a wife would say, best friend? Um, No. (laughs) Oh, I love my husband. I love my husband with all my heart. I would never leave my husband. No, I absolutely love my husband. But friend is the wrong word. It's not the word I would use. And it is an irony that sometimes the people we love the most in life may not actually be classed as friends because friendship as a relationship is quite different. Okay? There's different dynamics involved. And I guess the place for you to start. Years ago, I opened my Bible on this topic and I asked God, show me... I didn't get this from a book. Okay? Show me friendship from your perspective. Moses talked to you face to face as a man talks to his friends. That's astonishing. God, what does that mean? And as I started to look through friendship in Scripture, I started to see these things and began, I hope, on a journey that I'm still on now. The first thing I discovered was that God uses the word love and the word friendship very differently. For God so loved the whole world, right? God uses the word love to encompass everyone, all of us. God loves us all. But the word friendship, you'll find if you do a a, a study on it, he is very selective, very particular with the way he uses that word. And I think that's an important place for us to start. And I encourage you, look at John chapter 15, verse 15. Of course these men are loved. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. But I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear much fruit. So Jesus has made a choice. Remember that the heart of everything concerning God is relationship. If I could have my first slide up there. But I think think we underestimate, and and let me choose my words carefully here and and stay with me. I, I need to use words that maybe don't make particular sense because some things are very hard to articulate. I think it's difficult for God to have friends. I think it's... Let's use the queen as an example. Do you think it's easy for the queen to make friends? I don't think it's easy for the queen to make friends, and I'll tell you why. Because of her role. Because her position, her responsibilities, the, 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 the way her... The whole structure of her life would constantly get in the way of her making friends. And I may be wrong, but I reckon that if you were to have a one-to-one with the queen, she would, and, and ask her what was the biggest cross she had to carry in life, she may well say, 
Do you know what? I wish I was just ordinary. And I wish that I'd just been like everybody else and been able just to make friends and have normal relationships. Instead, when people approach me, they see the queen, and it's very hard to untangle that in my life. Well, think about God, you see. And don't presume that relationship with God in in an intimate form is an easy thing for him, because he is holy, holy, holy. Look at the way Britain is structured, if you like. First of all, we have citizens. Now, a citizen in the United Kingdom may not have any respect for royalty. Fine, no problem. That's, that's your opinion. That's your choice. So they may say, well, I'm an anti-royalist. What are they then? They're just a citizen or a church member, if you like. The next one up are subjects, those who make themselves subject to the queen or to the king. Okay? So they accept the position of the queen, and they are subjects within the land. The next one up would be servants, if you like, people who work in Buckingham Palace or whatever, those who are beginning to get close to the queen. Now, pay attention, folks. If someone is a citizen and they subject themselves to the authority of the ruler and they work in the kingdom, you have the opportunity of becoming what's called a friend. But the servanthood bit has got to be in there. I no no longer call you servants because you've already been working in the kingdom. You see, a friend in the eyes of Christ is someone who shares the responsibilities and the passions and the pains and the problems that he has. And that's why he chose those 12. We call them the 12 apostles. But you could actually call them the 12 friends. You could call them the 12 friends. And if you, you'll hear a thousand reasons why Jesus chose the 12 men he did. He chose them because of this. He chose them because of that. Well, do you know what? <laughs> what about if Jesus chose them because he liked them? What about if Jesus chose them because he saw something in them that, you know, he knew he was going to be able to relate to? Right? So citizens, what's a citizen? A citizen is a member in the church, if you like, if I can use this analogy. A subject is someone who accepts the church and works in the church and accepts the authority of it. A servant, someone involved in their their own area of ministry. And eventually, it's the same procedure. If we are consistent in the first three, we have the opportunity of ending up in friendship with God. And that's basically my question to you this morning and my question of myself. Can I become a friend of God? Can you become a friend of God? And the Bible answers that question, I'm glad to say. Turn to it, please. Psalms chapter 25. Psalm chapter 25 and verse 14. Look at this. The Bible answers the question for us about whether you can be that intimate with God that He would call you a friend. Psalm chapter 25 and verse 14. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And with them, he shares the secrets of his covenant. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Now, you use those words in today's society, and people think you're old-fashioned or whatever. But I'm sorry, folks. Nothing has changed. Friendship with the Lord is still reserved for those who fear him. Are you saying God doesn't love me? No. Didn't say that. Are you saying I'm not saved? No. 
Didn't say that. I'm talking about, could I have my next slide up? I'm talking about these things here that are going to come on our screen in just a moment. <laughs> four, four things. I'll quote them to you. I forgot to put them in your notes. There's a second slide there. Thank you. Four things God promises those who become his friends. First of all, he'll tell you secrets. Okay? Friendship with the, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And with them, he shares his secrets. He shares the secrets of his heart, just like you do with a friend. You call up your best friend, you meet your best friend, and you pour out your heart to them. He shares with you his plans. He said that in John 15 there. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, because a, a servant doesn't know the plan. A servant doesn't know the master's business. And a friend gets answers. Jesus used uh, an illustration one day about a, a man who was asleep in bed and his, his friend came and knocked the door and said, get up and do ABC. And Jesus said he, he wouldn't do it. But because the man is his friend, he will get an answer. So friendship is a great, great thing. Friendship with Jesus is something to be aspired to, something to be attained to. And with it come these blessings, secrets God begins to share with us, plans, answers to prayer, as that parable teaches us, and of course, intimacy. You see, folks, please listen. If I asked you, when was the last time you poured out your heart to God? I hope many of you could say, well, this morning, yesterday, last week. But that's not the point this morning. The point is the complete reverse. When was the last time God poured his heart out to you? Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And with them, he shares. He shares the secret plans, if you like. He shares how he's feeling. And it's not it's too rare for us. It's not just Moses, by the way. Abraham was the same, and indeed the 12 were the same. But as I say, those 12 men were going to a terrible death, most of them. So they had a lot in common with Christ. They had a lot of common ground. We used to have this lady in one church we pastored, and I tell you, in my opinion, she was a friend of God. Because every time you would meet, her name was Diane, every time you would meet Diane, she wasn't talking about how she felt. She wasn't talking about her world. It was really genuine. It was the real McCoy. She was always talking about how Jesus feels. And it was good. It was deep. It was real. A very, very deep, spiritual, good, good lady. You see? That's the hallmark of those who are friends of God. They know how he's feeling. Amen? And you just ask yourself that question. When was the last time Jesus told me a secret? When was the last time I knew what the plan was going to be? Not that you have to share that. When was the last time I know I got a special answer or that I felt that type of intimacy? Right throughout the Old Testament, many places, not just in Psalms, but Isaiah. In fact, turn to that if you will as well. Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 6. Look at this. It says that fear is the key, not just to friendship with God, but to, to many other things as well. Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 6. He will be a sure foundation for your times, 
a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. And that's not, not, as I say, there are many scriptures referring to the fear of the Lord. I've given you a little list on your notes there. Things that the Bible promises to those who actually live in fear of God. That it will bring you knowledge. That it will lead you to hate evil. That it will prolong your life and give you confidence. That it is indeed the fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. And it brings wealth and adds no trouble to that wealth. Look at that one, prolong your life. I shared some of you, I shared with some of you this story before. We used to work in training people in street preaching. And one day when we were out in the streets of a certain city in this country, there was a, 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 a homeless guy sleeping in the doorway. And we went over to him and, and, and prayed with him. Born again, saved. Goes off to rehab, gets himself cleaned up, and comes back and he actually trains as a street preacher with us. And he was very good, very good guy. He had been living on the streets for years and was extremely well known. Now, in the first few months, he did very well. In fact, I think he went on for about six, eight months, something like that. Now, he had been an alcoholic, but now he's born again and he's a street preacher. He's doing great. But after a little while, he started to drink again and still preach. So he would go and have a pint in the pub and start sharing in the pub that he was born again. And then he would have two or three pints in the pub and go out onto the street and tell everybody about Jesus. You see, what's happened to him? He's lost his fear of God. He got saved and he had a healthy fear of God. But somewhere along the line, very quickly in his case, doesn't normally happen that quick, but very quickly in this case, it's more of a problem with people who've been in church all their lives, you see. But very, in fact, the man was found dead. What's the point? Fear of the Lord will prolong your life. He was found dead in a doorway. I'm not saying God struck him dead. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe God took him home to be with him because he wouldn't let him carry on the way he was going. I believe the guy took a wrong road. But the, the, the point I want you to see, folks, he lost his fear of God. That's what I want you to see. He lost his fear of God. And that ended his physical life. He actually died. But for some of you, take a look at the list. For some of you, you will never grow in knowledge until you learn to fear the Lord. You'll stay the way you are. And you won't hate evil. And life can be cut short. And you won't gain confidence. Or you won't prosper and become wealthy because God can't trust you with that if you don't fear him above other things. So, I mean, Solomon concludes the matter very well, actually. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he said the conclusion of all things was this. Fear the Lord and obey his commands. Fear the Lord and obey his commands. Could I have Sujith back, please? If he's here. At the bottom of your notes there, I've given you a little, uh, a little three points. I meant to mention them last week, but they are very, very important points. Could I go back to my first slide, please, Stefan? So, sometimes I feel sorry for God. <laughs> I know that sounds odd, but I do. I feel sorry for God because I think, God, you want to come near to me. You want to be my friend. But in the process of doing that, I could be destroyed. 
Listen, folks, believe me, God wants to come close to you. He wants to be your friend. But in the process of doing that, you might get destroyed along the way. And so he, sta- he stays back. He holds back. And he keeps his distance. He's an awesome, all-consuming fire. He keeps his distance, lest you be destroyed. And if you read the Old Testament, and this is why I'm bringing it up really now in Exodus, God has always kept that little bit of a distance between us and him for your safety and for your benefit. You know, when you're really mad at someone, you might not talk to them, right? (laughs) Why are you doing that? You're saving them from your wrath. I'll just leave you right now. Now, it's a bit like that, except it's not anger. It's just holiness. And the biggest problem you've got, please listen to me. Do you know your problem and my problem? Familiarity. We become familiar with the holy things. And God has gone to enormous lengths to try and keep you in your place, but still get to you and still be your friend and still share with you. But you must fear him. You must always remember that he is a thrice holy God. I heard a documentary years ago, just came into my mind the other day, about a butler to the queen. And I think that guy had been serving the queen for something like 45 or 50 years. Goodness me. That's someone who was a citizen, but subjected themselves, then became servants, and ultimately were able to sustain over a lifetime intimacy, but reverence for the queen. Do you understand? Whoever that butler was, he knew where the line was. After 10 years serving the queen, he didn't walk in and say, Morning, Liz. Wakey, wakey. Time for breakfast. Right? After 20 years, and wait. Come in. After 30 years. And what does that earn you? When you maintain these things, what does it earn you? God notices you. He notices the respect is continual. He noticed you're beginning to understand, beginning to grow up and understand that God is God and you are man. And as you continue with that respect, do you know what happens? God starts to move towards you. Starts to move towards you. And that's what he wanted with Adam. That's what he wanted with the Jews. But they wouldn't, they just wouldn't accept it. They abused it. Remember, familiarity was one of the things, a major thing that drove Israel out. How did God try to explain to them, don't talk to me like that? They grumbled, you see. And God said, you talk to me like that and I will not be your friend. But they grumbled again. You talk to me again like that and you lose respect for who I am and I will pull back from your life. And that's exactly what happened. They lost respect of God. They lost respect for Moses first and then for God. That's the order. And then they lost everything. And or in fact, they were cut off. So I want you to see something, folks. Here's the people of Israel and here's God. And he's trying to come close. 
So as he starts to get close, he's got to protect them. They're in the wilderness. They're living in tents. They build their tents. What does God do? He builds a big tent, a tabernacle. Right? And right in the middle of all their mingy little tents, <laughs> there's this awesome, glorious tent. In other words, God right there in the midst of them, he wanted them to see this one thing. I'm not like you. I want to get close to you, but I need you to have this burning fire in the middle of Israel. Otherwise, we'll lose our relationship because you will lose respect for me. So I will tent amongst you, tabernacle amongst you. And I will do it. And a blazing fire would come down on that tabernacle. And I will do this and be here and you will see it. I long for intimacy with you. But that intimacy is based on this one thing. Your fear of me. Your holy fear of me. And if you maintain that, then I will continue to tabernacle with you. So the tabernacle, I presume you're familiar with that. When they lived in tents, God elevated himself, if you like, to be in a tabernacle just so that he could stay with them. Then when they moved into Jerusalem and they lived in houses, what did he do then? He built a temple. He built a temple, and it was to be an awesome temple, a glorious temple, a shocking temple. Why did he do that? Because he wanted, once again, to keep the relationship, keep a holy fear, keep an awesome fear in the people for one reason, so that he could be your friend, so that he could come close, so that you would maintain it. And ultimately, before the Holy Spirit was to come and live in our bodies, Christ came as the ultimate example that we were to fear. And I tell you, folks, it's, it's not rocket science. If you maintain a healthy, holy fear of God and you serve in the kingdom, I don't see how God could hold himself back, but will come to you and begin to speak to you face to face as a man talks to his friend. Just bow your heads and invite the worship team back. Just stay in your seats one moment. As I said at the beginning, I think some things are important to God, some things are important to us. Well, this is something that's important to God. And God would say to you this morning, of course I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. But I want more than that. I want friendship. I want intimacy. And for that to happen, you have to have a living, lively fear of me and to respect me. And if you do that, I will draw near to you. And Father, I pray for all of us here that you will move across us, move across this congregation and take us from strength to strength, glory to glory. I thank you that you love us, God, but you're yearning for more. The, the wedding is coming soon. The bridegroom is coming back for his church. And I believe he just wants intimacy with you. And I just give you a moment to make your peace with God and to restore fellowship with him.